Hello, my friend, and welcome to the 514th episode of the Sales Podcast. I'm Wes Schaefer, the Sales Whisperer, your host. We're getting back into cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, blockchain, all that good stuff. I am I'm digging this. Uh, I've got a very smart individual. He's a professor at USC, uh, chartered financial advisor. Uh, his name is Nick Batia, author of a new book, Layered Money, From Gold and Dollars to Bitcoin and Central Bank Digital Currencies. If you remember, uh, last year, actually right around uh, when I was coming out of COVID, uh, did an episode on the Lords of Finance, uh, going back to what led up to the Great Depression, how it was handled, uh, the roles of the central banks today, and it, um, it was powerful. You know, I was a financial advisor when I got out of the Air Force, and um, I actually got a couple of my licenses while I was still in the Air Force. Uh, then I got my Series 7 and 65. I had my life insurance. Eventually, I got even my property um, insurance uh, license. So I've, I've followed this space for many years. I, I bought my first stocks in 92. I was at Texas A&M. The Air Force had sent me there from the academy. I was with some other academy grads. And a friend of mine, Dave, knew what he was doing. And we would go to the library, the Texas A&M library, and look up books on charts and stocks and and make some investments and um, interesting times. I've I've traded commodities and individual stocks. Uh, I've traded and still own some precious metals, uh, despite the ups and downs there. I mean, you know, when you buy early, it's easy to make money. Uh, I'm up on my crypto portfolio, so you know interesting guy. So uh, I'm happy to have have him on. We're going to get into some cool things. Uh, but first, let me give you a minute, a little over a minute, uh, intro into a recent sponsor, Vidyard. Vidyard is an easy to use yet powerful video solution that makes it simple to create videos, host them ad-free, share them with others, and track their performance. Whether you're recording a video for one person or sharing it with the world on your website, it's easy to manage your video content. The Vidyard solution is built for business. It has robust analytics, integrations with top enterprise tools like HubSpot, and customization options that answer your unique needs. Look, email isn't dead, but it sure can be boring. Use Vidyard to record and send sales videos to connect with prospects, convert opportunities, and close deals. You can put a face to your name with video. I do this. Uh, record your face, your screen, or both for prospecting videos, follow-ups, product demos, and more. Sign up for Vidyard free today by going to vidyard.com slash whisper. And just like all of you, the team at Vidyard can't keep up with all those promo codes on podcasts and blah, blah, blah. So they're making it easy to sign up. Okay, no promo code. Just go to vidyard.com slash whisper to start using Vidyard completely free. And as a bonus, get their high conversion virtual sales playbook. Vidyard.com slash whisper. Professor Nick Batia, author of Layered Money, all the way from LA. It looks like you're, are you in your USC office? No, I'm at home. You're at uh, home. Still, it just looks yeah, like a USC home. office. <laughs> More or less. Yeah, I got, I got uh, some SC paraphernalia in the background. Nice. Well, welcome to the sales podcast. I'm glad you made some time. Thanks. But thanks for having me, Wes. So a uh, good, my high school friend, he was my center in high school and he, he was a Trojan way back. He went there in 89, 89 to 94. So that was when I first understood how good the Trojans were. So, uh, you know, you're in a good spot, but you probably already know that, huh? Yeah. You know, I, uh, a, a lifelong Trojan, I'm actually a third generation Trojan. So oh, wow. it goes back, uh, quite a, quite a ways in my family and, um, my brother just uh, graduated medical school from USC as well. So a oh, lot nice. of Trojan, Trojan blood running through. Nice. Very cool. Well, I could talk football forever, um, but, you know, let's talk money, shall we? Let's do it. <laughs> so I ran across you. Um, I've got a list that I have um, uh, cultivated, I guess maybe is the word, uh, on Twitter. And uh, I had Eric Voorhees on not too long ago. I, I know Eric's dad, actually. That's how I ended up meeting Eric. Um, and I, my son is in the, the crypto space up in San Francisco. My brother-in-law has created a, a server farm in Dallas. 
um, my sons have been in this for probably five or six years. I told them when they were first interested, I was like, put some money in it, kids. You know, if you put some money in it, you'll pay attention. So my, my second son, he was, he was in high school and I think he put $1,200 in. So that was a pretty good chunk for 17 years old, you know, six years ago. And so he's been following it. And last October I was picking on him. He's like, cause Bitcoin, I get dipped and it came back up. He's like, I'm, I, I kind of earned my money back. I think I'm going to sell. I'm like, you could sell, you know, but like, do you need the money? Well, no, not really. Like, you know, I think it's positioned to keep growing. So I, I send him that text every now and then. It's like, you owe your dad. Uh, although it, did, it has come back down. Uh, but I wanted to get just your take, your understanding of this, because you're, you're not some, some guy in a basement, uh, you know, tinfoil conspiracy theorist. I mean, you're, you're chartered uh, a CFA, right? A certified financial, is it certified? Certified financial, financial analyst. analyst. That's right. uh, sorry, chartered financial chartered. analyst. Chartered, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew I was getting it wrong. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're in the quote unquote real money or the old money or the legitimate money space. Uh, and yet you, you're going deep into into Bitcoin. What, what led to that transition? You know, um, so, you know, the, the tinfoil stuff, you know, that's kind of when you're just starting college, right. And, and, and you're going down all those uh, rabbit holes and reading different books that people are introducing you to and having, so I've always had, uh, you know, a geopolitical angle toward um, life really, and, you know, just trying to analyze the way that the world works and trying to read books about, um, history and uh, different cultures and war and uh, you know things that things that shape our society. So um, the financial markets to me are right at the center of that. And so when I pursued a professional career in the markets, uh, I still had a background in geopolitics, and it always dominated uh, the way that I approached my research and the way that I approached my career was trying to understand what's happening holistically, not just is this asset going to go up or down in price, but why and put that why in the context of what's going on in the world. So when I finally decided to learn about Bitcoin, because, you know, being aware geopolitically, we've been hearing about Bitcoin since 2012. Uh, quite frequently, it's, it's been in the news since 2012. But I didn't decide to read any of those articles or actually dive into it until 2016. And when I did, I recognized that Bitcoin is a tool for freedom. It is a geopolitical instrument, and it's going to be at the center of um, the world's uh, financial landscape, technology landscape, and cultural landscape for decades to come. I recognized that probably within the first three to six months of learning about Bitcoin. And ever since then, uh, intellectually speaking, I have been all in. I love it. Uh, you know, I was, I was just talking with someone this weekend because uh, I, was, I was equating, like, like, trying to help people understand like, where we are and put it into comparison. And I was like, you know, this might be 1995, Right. Uh, telecom deregulation, uh, the dot-com bubble is really gaining momentum. That um, was the first year I, mean, I got married and my wife and I got uh, an Internet account in Biloxi, Mississippi. And we chose the one that had a, I forget, I think it had the 56K dial-up mm -hmm. because it was double everything else. Um, you know, but somebody did bring up, said, well, hell, OK, Netscape was the main player back in the day. And who knows of Netscape anymore, you know, is, is Bitcoin Netscape or is Bitcoin, you know, Google in the early phases, it's going to become, you know, is it going to go away or is it going to become the dominant player? Yeah. And I really agree with you that I think we are in the mid nineties from that perspective. And I don't think that Bitcoin is either Netscape or Google. I think that Bitcoin is the internet. And Ooh. that's what, um, so I try to get into that a little bit in my book. Um, and people have written much deeper studies of this, but Bitcoin itself refers to two things. 
It refers to a software protocol and it refers also to the unit within that software, which is the money that we, that we think of Bitcoin as today and the money that trades versus the dollar. But really Bitcoin is the name of a software protocol. And the word protocol is a set of rules and the protocol level of Bitcoin can be compared to the internet protocol, the transmission communications protocol, the uh, uh, hypertext transfer protocol, HTTP, or the simple mail transfer protocol, which is email. The, the, the underlying layer on top of which we build um, communication methods or software or platforms or networks. Um, Bitcoin is, I believe, the, the layer beneath everything that we're going to build on top of. And it is, it is nuanced and there's definitely not exact comparisons between, let's say, HTTP and Bitcoin um, or, or other types of protocols that you like to make analogies. But I do believe that Bitcoin, it's not a company. It's just a set of rules, just like the other internet protocols that we use today. Yeah, but you know, Warren Buffett doesn't like it and uh, Elon Musk is poo-pooing on it. So yeah, I, I think it's going to go away. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny when you watch these, um, some of these legacy people um, talk badly about Bitcoin and then within a couple years, uh, not only do they change their tune, but they're, they're suddenly long and they're long in their business exposure as well, just like uh, kind of Jamie Dimon, where he comes out and says, you know, I'm going to fire anybody that's trading Bitcoin. And then a couple sla- couple years later, they have the whole Bitcoin desk set up, ready to facilitate long and short positions, ready to facilitate hedging positions and, uh, you know, treat Bitcoin just like any FX rate, really. Um, and it's their responsibility to provide liquidity uh, in different FX markets for their massive clients. And so, um, you know, eventually they'll come around and recognize this is a technology that's being used and you might not like it, but what what good did it do if you dismiss the internet in 1996 or 1997 or even in 2003? It's just, uh, you know, that kind of standpoint fades away uh, as time passes. So, you know, I I... I, I think it's a little arrogant to come out and say, you know, Bitcoin's going to be around here for 50 years. Rather, let's just watch it unfold. It's been around for 12. I think it's safe to say the next 12 are, are going to be here and let's just watch it unfold. But, you know, the long-term growth of Bitcoin's users and value on an average basis, it's following an exponential trend similar to the internet or other technologies that we've experienced. Do you think these these legacy people, and that's a great word for them, I mean, is, is it wishful thinking, right? Is this kind of, is it nostalgia? Do you think it's like, oh, this is, you know, it's a changing of the guard and they don't want to let go? Because these are smart people, yeah, right? These are not fools. These are people controlling billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, in the aggregate, maybe even they can certainly move trillions of dollars of markets with uh, their secret meetings on islands or whatever. Right? That, so, uh, is it arrogant? Are, are they are they gaming the system? And part of me think I'm so jaded. Right? I think Elon just wants to wants things to plummet. He's going to scoop it up when it's lower. He's probably making his own coins anyway. I've seen things about solar powered. Tesla's contributing to the grid. I mean, lowering the carbon footprint on and on. Cause ultimately, I mean, Tesla's a battery, they're an energy company really, you know? So I know he's not just, it seems like he's shooting from the hip, but he's not. Right. So, but like yeah. Warren Buffett, I just read, he, they invested what $500 million in some um, South America digital bank. Uh, so, I mean, he doesn't seem to be too much against Bitcoin. So like what's right. driving these guys? Are yeah, they- you know, it's a couple things. It's definitely a couple things. So I want to take Elon out of the equation for a second because he is a, I mean, he's a very unique individual on this planet. Um, very polarizing, but I think it's uh, 
I think it's safe to say that he has like a, a heavy narcissism about the way that he does things like it or hate it. Um, and I kind of both, I kind of love it and, and hate it at the same time, but let's take Elon out because what he's doing is, you know, um, kind of like a cult of personality and, you know, a little bit different than um, the rest. But in terms of the rest, the Warren Buffett's, the Jamie Dimons, I think there are a couple factors at play. Number one, they don't get Bitcoin. They think it's um, a virtual currency with no value or backing. Now, people that have studied Bitcoin or have identified value in Bitcoin, I believe have identified the energy, the proof of work, the mining that go, and the hash rate, all these words that describe the energy security mechanism of Bitcoin. That's what we believe backs Bitcoin. It's the energy, it's the mining, it's the hash rate. And the people that, many people that say, oh, Bitcoin, it's not backed by anything. It's just a virtual made up, make-believe currency. They haven't connected those two dots yet where um, the backing is actually a computational energy network that is um, one of the most incredible things that's ever de developed from the internet's perspective um, since the internet. So that's definitely one thing. They, they haven't made that connection that there's something real to it. They just think it's pretend. Um, but the other side of it is trying to protect the legacy system, um, trying to make sure that governments and corporations still are in control going forward and that they're terrified of populism and the revolt of the public in that um, the internet has already decentralized a lot of things and has replaced uh, industries altogether. And governments are looking at that and they think that they are potentially next. And Bitcoin is, an, is a direct accelerant to those trends of populism and of decentralization. And that scares the power structure. So there's definitely both. And I think it's important to, when you're looking at a naysayer, um, to identify, is this somebody that um, is actually against decentralization and trying to uh, protect the status quo of governments and corporations on this planet? Or are they potentially misinformed or underinformed? And if we explain to, that, to them what backs Bitcoin and also the empowerment angle of Bitcoin, how it's a tool for human empowerment, financial empowerment, and we expose them to that, maybe they will uh, recognize the value in it. Um, and then you have this kind of third group of people that, um, you know, they think that they're all about financial empowerment, but they don't actually ever step in the shoes of anybody outside of the United States or Western Europe. And therefore they can't physically imagine why anybody would want a currency that's not backed by a government because they haven't walked through the towns of uh, countries, cities that have dumpster fire currency regimes, uh, you know, rampant uh, corrupt uh, corruption in government and all these types of things. So it's a long answer, but um, it's let, you know, when we're looking at the legacy system, and the people in it, let's not rush to judgment and think that they are either, um, you know, trying to just protect their wealth and their power, or that they are, you know, uh, uh, software illiterates and, mm -hmm. and um, have the conversation. I tried to write layered money to bring people from both of those worlds and, you know, explain Bitcoin in a simple way. Right. I mean, when you, when you say, you know, Warren Buffett doesn't understand something. I mean, that in my mind, I mean, that boggles my mind because that that has to, that's willful ignorance. Right. Because this guy, he can get the 10 smartest people on any subject on the planet to call him today. Right. So if he doesn't understand it, that tells me he just doesn't want to understand it. It's a few years ago, I think that it was excusable. And I'm just, I'm giving myself a pass here because for three years, I was that guy that just dismissed it. And 
But that I was didn't. for three years, starting at the beginning. We we can't we can't follow every new thing, right? right? I mean, we do have to let either a natural inclination or fortune, you know, timing or whatever things cross our paths, you know. So we do have to give it a little bit of time. Right. But at this point, for somebody like Warren Buffett to say what he says. I, I don't understand it. And and I, I have to agree with you, Wes. I actually think that 2021 is the point of no return now. And a news, um, a news item like what happened in El Salvador this month, and um, it, it actually makes it now no longer excusable because now you actually have a, a head of state sitting down and explaining his decision and the country's decision to introduce this new digital currency as legal tender and the financial empowerment aspect of it. And so if you're Warren Buffett and you are willfully ignoring a head of state and, you know, trying to explain why he did this for his people. Now, I think you've lost your excuse and we're, we're really past that point of no return, but over the past couple of years, and even up until last year when Bitcoin still hadn't surpassed $20,000 and was still kind of in this post third bubble, uh, um, you know, hangover from the mainstream perspective, it's still, I still gave him a pass, like, you know, but now you, you cross 20,000. So the bubble talk has to go away and then you cross El Salvador. And now the, um, you know, the financial empowerment narrative steps right into the front and center. And now it's too late. Now it's not excusable. Um, you know, and from a personal standpoint, I wrote layered money so that you don't have an excuse anymore um, to just dismiss this empowerment tool for the rest of the populace. It's, it's, it's non-inclusive and it's now ignorant and um, it's not appropriate either. And actually politicians uh, ha- they need to recognize this now um, that the, the excuses that they might have had two or three years ago, they don't hold anymore. And if you're taking an anti-Bitcoin stance, you're all of a sudden uh, exposing yourself uh, as a very non-inclusive type of person. Well, I think they do understand it. Um, and I think they're afraid of it. I think our politicians are afraid of it um, because you know, taxation is where they get their power, right? You know, follow the money. Uh, I think it's, I think it's propaganda. I think it's psyops, you know, or like keep the people down till we figure this thing out because everything that's going on, people don't understand the federal reserve. People don't know the difference between a silver certificate and a federal reserve note. You know, I love it when they say, oh, Bitcoin's not backed by anything. I'm like, What's your dollar backed by? Well, the full faith and credit of the United States. I'm like, do you have faith in the United States government? <laughs> like, I don't. I was educated by them over there. I mean, I, I, I gave them nine years of my life. <laughs> I, I don't trust them. <laughs> oh, man. And, um, and, and what I will say, Wes, is that um, I think that the – institutions have to protect themselves from Bitcoin, but but the people are still Americans. And um, actually um, I I put more of the optimist hat on when it comes to the people themselves, the institutions, my goodness. I mean, um, you know, they, they have demonstrated oppression in, in different ways for so long. And so I fully recognize that. And, um, the institution wanting to protect itself from the Federal Reserve's perspective, from the media. When you talk about psyops, psyops are part of what intelligence organizations do to protect themselves. Um, that television anchor, though, are we going to hold that television anchor responsible, even if he or she, and especially if he or she might actually be long Bitcoin, but still reading the script? Mm-hmm. So I want to see people engage with each other 
And that is really, I think, what decentralization is about. It's bringing people and into a network together and eliminating the middleman, which is media, government, both. And um, and psyops keep people separated um, as part of as part of its goal. Sure. And so I, and I, and I, and I have studied that. Um, I have studied how, you know, scripts are written in um, the Pentagon and, and things like that. It's all part of protecting the institution, but um, I'm, I have a lot of optimism when it comes to um, Americans, um, global citizens and people that want to help empower other people. Mm-hmm. So I think Bitcoin is, you know, is here to stay and, um, you know, that's why I'm out here talking about it. Nice. So what's, what's the meaning of your title? So you said layered money from gold and dollars to Bitcoin and central bank digital currencies. Um, what, what are the layers? The meaning of the title is that while the everyday person might look at his or her checking account balance, um, the paper cash, that uh, they have in their pocket, their Venmo balance on their iPhone or their um, brokerage account in their 401k in a money market fund. And they might think all those things are money and they don't differentiate between them. They're like, I have money in this account. I have money in my pocket. I have money in that, you know, U.S. Treasury fund. And um it's all, it's all money. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker engineering your success. Now, they might be correct in that all forms, all those forms of money are money to them. But in reality, those forms of money fall into a hierarchy. And that hierarchy is determined by the balance sheet that the instruments themselves come from. So your Wells Fargo checking account, dollars, your Federal Reserve notes in your pocket, your Venmo balance, or your JP Morgan Treasury money market fund, they all have different counterparties and they all have different uh, positions in this order of money. And when push comes to shove, if uh, Wells Fargo um, gets murdered by the US government um, and you have over the FDIC insured amount in your checking account, your money is gone. And in that case, if you had paper cash issued by the Federal Reserve, you would have kept your money because that cash is of a higher order versus your Wells Fargo checking account. And so in that way, our money falls into this layered system in which there's a hierarchy to the the things that we own. And I didn't invent the concept of the hierarchy of money. I borrowed it from an economics professor named Perry Merling. He wrote a paper called The Inherent Hierarchy of Money in 2012, which I cite in my book. And uh, I reference um, work a few times. But when he introduced that framework, he hadn't, um, he hadn't told the story of it or the history of it. And that's what I attempted to do with layered money is take this framework of hierarchy of balance sheets and hierarchy of monetary instruments and, um, and tell the whole story, go back as far as I needed to and tell a story that went through gold coins, gold certificates, government, government currencies, um, commercial banks, and then eventually the elimination of gold from the hierarchy altogether and that's the system that we have today. The dollar system itself is a hierarchy in which the, the top layer is U.S. government debt itself, another credit instrument. So um, a very uh, 
twisted evolution of money that we have experienced. And uh, the story really hadn't been told. The history of money, the history of um, finance has been told and markets maybe had been told, but the history of money markets themselves, uh, it hadn't been told like this. And so that's what I attempted to do in the book. And I really wanted to set all that up so that we could see Bitcoin is independent of the current layered structure. It is a new, completely novel type of first layer money that doesn't have any link to the, the, the legacy system. And that it was an, an important line to draw and uh, motivated me to tell the story in that way. How much time should people spend learning the, the lingo, you know, hash rate and mining and um, I mean, there, there's so many, I, literally I, at half the time, or I spend twice as much time reading these threads because I'm half the, post i'm googling and like okay what is and that good on, good on that? you what for is... doing that yeah because <laughs> it you know the it's tough to answer let me just tell um you know a personal thing in the financial markets as i was trying to get jobs and you know seek roles and advance my career um one of the things that did not let me pursue certain avenues was my lack of ability to program in Visual Basic, MATLAB, R, or um, SQL, let's say. Four, four languages that I've actually taken classes in and tried to do myself very poorly, <laughs> but it's not my skill set. And why is that? Because I made a conscious decision when I was younger that even though I recognize that software programmers are going to get the majority of the jobs over the next several decades, I need to put my energy into being a great geopolitical and macroeconomic researcher, and I'll be able to add value through that angle. So if you have a career that you're already adding value, do you need to you know, understand the depths of Bitcoin mining? Maybe not, but if you're a young person, Come on, read this book. It's called Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos. It's a computer science textbook. I read it. I did not understand about a third of it, but I did my best to understand the other two thirds. And now I'm in a position that I understand how the Bitcoin software works better than most. And you learn about what mining is and you learn about one-way cryptography and, um, you also learn that Bitcoin didn't just come out of thin air, that there's, you know, several decades of computer science that prefaced it. And um, you can understand by reading, uh, and there's a great shorter version called Inventing Bitcoin by Jan Pritzker, um, uh, a colleague uh, of mine that wrote a, fen- uh, you know, a phenomenal kind of uh, shorter, shorter version you've got to understand what one-way cryptography is, what mining is just on a basic level to recognize the value of Bitcoin and its power to change. And so um, if you're a young person, um, I don't think there's any excuse. You got to pick up a book. You got to, you got to understand what Bitcoin mining is um, and what, one-way cryptography is those two things are kind of the two basic building blocks to understanding what is a cryptocurrency what does that word even mean what is blockchain blockchain is a chain of blocks well what are blocks and how do they become chained together mining and so you know the word chain needs to be understood you have to understand what the word chain means and you got to work work backwards from it i tried to do this a little bit in chapter seven of layered money, where I explain what the word blockchain means. And, um, and it does have to do with Bitcoin mining. So you keep throwing around this, this term, young people. Could, or, uh, am I in that list? Oh, absolutely. I got because gray here. Does that, does that count? You're young, Wes, because you read the threads, you're on Twitter, you're researching, your mind is still working. All right, good. 
Your mind is still working, man. Oh, I think it is. Can you remind my kids of that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send them this interview. All right. <laughs> Do it. Uh, so where should someone focus? I mean, Bitcoin, um, you know, if Bitcoin is the internet, what is Ethereum? Is it, I don't even know the analogy. Is, is it a fax machine? Is it, no, it's not a fax. Is it, what is it? Is it a protocol on top of the internet? Well, Ethereum, alternate internet. Ethereum definitely is a protocol. It's a software. Um, and then people have also identified it as money. I haven't done that. I haven't been able to identify uh, why the value accrues to the monetary unit of Ethereum. And that's independent of the fact that people are using the Ethereum software to do things on the internet. And um, so maybe that's why value accrues to that token. Um, but it's not, it's not my course of study. I have identified why I believe value accrues to Bitcoin, the token. Um, and that is because it is uh, the representation of the human interaction with gold in the digital universe in this way that we, we, as a human species identified gold as the consensus highest value monetary physical item that we could come up with. And I believe Bitcoin is fulfilling that role. Um, But it's clear that many software protocols will exist, will continue to exist and will have value assigned to them by the market. Ethereum's market value is over $300 billion today. So even though I can't identify the value, the reason to own it, and that's why I don't own any of it, uh, that doesn't mean other people haven't been able to identify it. They have and they do. And uh, I think that that's, I think that that's okay because the market will eventually tell them whether they're right or wrong. So I express my positions by, you know, I mean, I express my opinions by my positions and other people are doing that as well. And they are assigning, um, you know, several hundred billions of dollars worth of value to Ethereum and other uh, cryptocurrency assets. So you think Bitcoin still has some room to grow then, huh? Absolutely. Uh, It's, it's the consensus value storage mechanism for approximately a hundred million people. So, you know, we know that um, there are about 5 billion internet users today. So forget the 8 billion people, but let's just focus on the 5 billion, you know, internet users. And I believe that three to four of those uh, billion are social network users as well, uh, within within that 5 billion. So we're talking about a minimum of 3 billion people that are, that are familiar with internet networks. And Bitcoin is that. So when do they download their first Bitcoin wallet onto their iPhone? Uh, to me, it's a matter of time because the social network apps are already on that, on that phone. And um, so they've already, their brains have already been programmed to use internet-based networks mm-hmm. and Bitcoin is the exact, like when you use Bitcoin, I really encourage people that uh, have never um, purchased Bitcoin, bought Bitcoin or whatever, do yourself a favor, buy 10 to 20 bucks worth on your favorite, you know, maybe cash app is a, is a good one that actually lets you take uh, Bitcoin off of it. Buy 20 bucks worth of Bitcoin, download a, uh, an iPhone wallet, um, a Bitcoin wallet, uh, Blockstream. The Blockstream company makes a good one called Green um, that you could try out and practice sending yourself Bitcoin from your exchange to yourself. Um, and then tell your friend to download a different wallet, send them some money, have them send it back to you two, three dollars at a time and learn and, and use Bitcoin. And then you'll realize, wow, it's just like 
It's just like emailing money to each other. It's just like Venmo, but there's no company. There's no PayPal. There's no dollar. It's just this digital unit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's mind blowing to use it for the first time. Yeah. And I, I remember like it was yesterday sending myself the first, I think $2 and 30 cent transaction from my exchange to my own wallet. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is something special. This is different. It's like email. It's really easy. It's like a social network for money mm-hmm. that doesn't have any company involved. And so I think that it's, it's very, it's going to be very obvious the second people start using it and guess what? hundred people, hundred million people already have. So yes, a long way, a long way to go uh, for Bitcoin because it's very natural. I think it's very natural um, a- as an evolution. I remember 15 years ago or so, like my father-in-law, like, I'm not using PayPal, you know, it's like, it's not real. It's some online bank, yeah. you know, and now of course he uses it. And he and my mother-in-law, they're, they Venmo to my wife, you know, they all get squared up. We go to dinner where they'll pick groceries up for one another and they're mm-hmm. just swapping Venmo. Yep. Uh, you know, they're in their seventies, you know, piece of cake, sending money, send money to my mom, PayPal and Venmo. So it's, um, and it, it was a little bit daunting when I was first walked through this, getting a MetaMask wallet and Chrome and this and that. And, you know, but it is getting easier and easier. I mean, literally every day. Uh, it's getting easier, but you know, conversely, I've owned I've owned gold since 2002. I don't I don't trade it. I just it's a store of value. I got it sitting there. It's you know it's and and hell that may no longer become a store of value. Who knows, right? But I got a little bit of it. Um, but I I like holding on to it. Um, so, but yeah, we're we're we don't understand our own biases, right? My son, you know, he's a computer uh, programming major, computer science. And I remember he was telling me a few years ago, <clears throat> like just um, you know, you, something like you, you do a, do a Google search for computer programmer, look up an image, you know, and it's skewed by a bunch of white dudes writing code in Silicon Valley. It's not, racist or whatever it's just they look around at each other and go oh well we're computer dudes so we'll find an image and that's what a computer dude looks like but then it's like well i don't know you got a 100 million of them that are chinese you know another 100 million of them that are indian so maybe we should broaden the spectrum of what a computer programmer looks like right so just little things like that oh yeah like just because we have it easy you know i've traveled to india and and Latin America, and I've seen poverty in these people, but they still have smartphones. And if they could trade money, I remember when my son, he's, he's 24 now, and he was, I don't know, maybe 16, 17. And, and it, you know, it's text, text, text. I'm like, dude, why don't you answer your phone when I call you? Oh, we don't use it like that. Like, what, what the hell is the use of having the smartphone? He's like, for the apps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember going, oh, hell. There's a paradigm shift, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's like, okay, I better figure out these apps because that is the future and it has already arrived. Right. Uh, and I feel like that's what's happening here. And, you know, I wrote Layered Money in part to show people that Venmo and Bitcoin are not the same thing at all. And that Bitcoin derives almost none of its value from being easy to send on the internet because we already have Venmo for that. Like you and your uh, spouse and her parents. And when you guys Venmo money to each other, you're not going to use Bitcoin. Venmo is free. It's instant. You're, you know, the bill was in dollars, the transfers in dollars. It's easy. You don't need Bitcoin for any of that. And actually Bitcoin is not worth $600 billion as a network because it's really easy to send on the internet. It's actually worth that much because it is a non-government currency and the first one ever to achieve that. And uh, I, I believe that that's where a lot of the value comes. And so we, we do have to understand the difference between Venmo and Bitcoin, even though they can feel very similar to each other, on, you know, when you use them on an iPhone. 
Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, let's leave it there, shall we? I am I'm linking to your your Twitter profile. I'm linking to layeredmoney.com uh, for your book. It's sold everywhere, right? Amazon, Audible, Apple, Barnes and Noble. Um, I recommend encourage folks to follow you. Uh, time value of BTC. Uh, so when did you create that? Time value BTC uh, account was created in 2018. May, May 2018. Yep. When I wrote... Um, an article called the time value of Bitcoin about the lightning network, uh, which is a, a payment layer on built on top of Bitcoin. And um, the idea of layered Bitcoin started, you know, way back then. And I had been on Twitter for years, uh, you know, just in the shadows and following. But when I wrote that article, I, I did want to go public and share it with the world. And I'm very thankful I did. So is uh, is USC going to beat UCLA this year? <laughs> uh, you know, the recruiting is starting to pick up again at SC. Um, it has been a tough slog. Um, I really, you know, since since Pete Carroll left, um, there's just been a, a hangover and you know scandal and a lot of turnover at the university. At, you know, on the admin side, so kind of. As Trojans, we're all ready to kind of get past that, but it's 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 been a it's been a struggle to find that identity. And um, you know, Coach Helton, I I respect him a lot, but he he's not he's not bringing the you know the fan base uh, truly together to rally around him. So you know, we'll wait and see. I hear you. I'm a college football fan. My LSU Tigers, very high highs and very low lows back-to-back seasons <laughs> so you never know what to expect absolutely <laughs> friend of mine or, or uh, this guy i was reading he was talking about because we beat each other up on football and you know it's like the alabama fans they just expect to always win it's like lsu we don't know what we're gonna get so i mean <laughs> we we got to show up drunk either way because if it's a bad game we need to drown our sorrows and if it's a good game we're celebrating so <laughs> well well wes i actually i have the curse of the alabama fans well i actually think we're gonna win the ship every every August. So, uh, I, you know, I expect it. And then for the last, uh, you know, decade plus, it's just been a lot of disappointment. So I'm like giving up after, you know, the one and two starts. And oh, um, I know. But, and uh, I'm so bummed because Nick Saban, he, I mean, he, he became famous at LSU, right? And he had to go to the NFL. Oh, absolutely. For a year and a half, man. Now I need to go drink. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll end on a good note, right? Layeredmoney.com. Go get the book. Go follow Nick. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. It's been great. Thanks, Wes. I appreciate your time and uh, hope to do it again soon. All right, man. Have a great day. Take care. You know, it's easy to poo-poo and criticize uh, something you don't know. Uh, I think it was Niles, or Niels Bohr, uh, physicist, uh, Nobel Prize winner back in, I don't know, early 1900s. Uh, we talked about how, you know, Average minds lock on to one idea and disparage the others. You know, great minds can hold two apparently conflicting ideas in their brain and consider them simultaneously without going crazy. Um, if you don't understand Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain, if you can't discuss hash rates and how the the fundamentals of you know, the ledger system, how that works. If you can't explain DeFi, right? Definance. If you can't explain or understand the benefits of decentralization, uh, then you probably should hold off criticizing this crypto space. There are some smart minds uh, knee deep in this space. It's it's time has come. Um, I encourage you, you know, put $100 into it, $500, you know, a little bit to to learn it. Um, man, it's been almost a year now. I was and I was considered late to the game. Right. But setting up a MetaMask and creating accounts at various, you know, Binance and Coinbase and BlockFi. And um, it's 
learning what stable coins are, how to set those up, and how to make acquisitions of various cryptocurrencies. You know, it's it's not as easy as banking, but consider you know going back ten years, fifteen years, um, working with PayPal, uh, trying to get those buttons uh, embedded on your website so you could get payment online. I remember my my father-in-law, oh, I'll never do digital banking. Uh, you know, we're we're doing PayPal and Venmo to one another all the time. Uh, I, hell, as a matter of fact, I just sent my mom money on PayPal uh, literally before I hit record on on this you know intro outro. Um, so that's become standard. You know, those when that's when opportunities arise when you see something that has a benefit but it's too hard to use or complicated. Um, that's a problem that can be solved. And why not you be the one to solve it and make money off of it? So instead of ridiculing something and criticizing it, take a step back and say, hey, you know, how how does this really work? What's the short-term and long-term ramifications of this? Where's the opportunity? And, um, you know, governments are afraid of, of decentralized finance. Um, the powers that be, you know, if you go back at, at Lords of Finance, those guys didn't know what they were doing. They were winging it. And you see guys distracted. I mean, we know now FDR had his little side women. We know that uh, some of the other central bankers, they had their their dalliances, had their, their health issues. They would literally just disappear for months at a time, back when you could in the early 1900s, uh, leaving things to um, their underlings. Um, they, you know, the experts are not quite as smart as you might think they are. So dive in, okay? Buy buy some books, uh, listen to other podcasts, follow some of these guys on Twitter, uh, get layered money, start understanding what's really going on. And you know what? Maybe maybe it's not right. Maybe it's all wrong. But um, you need to get educated on it to make an informed decision why it is instead of saying, well, Elon Musk just, you know, Saturday Night Live said it wasn't any good. Like, come on. All these guys are playing us. They, they're strategic thinkers. So, you know, like Wayne Gretzky, right? Skate to where the puck is headed. You know, where are these guys going? Consider that first. All right. So listening to podcasts like this, uh, following uh, authors and, and pioneers in the space will, will get you educated. So even if you decide no, then uh, you can do so with confidence and with great comfort. All right. If you need to sell and market with more confidence, hit me up. TheSalesWhisperer.com. Go to the Contact Us or join our sales group, sellmoreofeverything.com. And uh, you can join month to month or commit for a year to yourself and get a couple months free. All right? Sellmoreofeverything.com. Thanks for listening. I'll go sell something.